you were the first store I ever saw that delivered groceries. How long have you been doing that for? Forever. We've been Forever, doing it for right? 73 years. Yeah. We've been delivering groceries. Really? for the whole Since the very beginning? Uh, if you don't treat people right and you don't have fresh products and you don't you know, give them, live up to their expectations, then uh, it doesn't matter whether you're surrounded by this feeling of, I want to shop the independent guy. That's going to wear out pretty quickly. You got, you got to really come across for customers. That's the challenge. Before we get started, I have a small favor to ask from you. Currently, 85% of our viewers are not subscribed. My goal is 50%. So if you've ever liked any of the videos we've posted, if you like this channel, can you do me a quick favor and hit that subscribe button? It helps this channel more than you know, and the bigger the channel gets, the bigger the guests get, and the more exceptional the properties get. Thank you, and enjoy this episode. I'm John Graft, and I love Chicago real estate. Between showings, I stop in my favorite places, talk with local business owners, and bring their story to you. This is my Chicago. We have a cohort of babysitters that all live in this building. Wow. I went up and down the floors and put a slip of paper under that basically said, we just had a son, we have no idea what we're doing. If any interest in helping here and there, let us know. Passed out 200 pieces of paper, 10 girls responded. And then he swims every night. He's been swimming since he was two weeks. And he's kind of a, uh, people cheer, cheer him from the balconies. And then lots of people have volunteered to watch him since then. And so because of all these spaces, my wife's in our unit, she can hang out. They can hang out there sometimes. We can walk around here. There's lots of different places to go. Wow. Yeah, it's cool. What a cool lifestyle. That is really. Uh... Yeah. That's really great. I, you know, I, of course, I'm a generation ahead, and uh, I, I, I lived in high rises as an adult. I grew up in a home, lived in high rises, and then thought I would, you know, get married, start to have kids, and move out to the suburbs. Yeah, that was kind of like the transition. Yeah, and uh, I never, I never got, I didn't get. Well, I've gotten married now, but I went till I was almost sixty years old before I got married for for the first time. Okay, so I was single all those years, and. Uh, I really didn't. I wanted to get something more domestic uh, instead of just high rise living. Yeah. Uh, I longed for like a tree lined street and that kind of thing. So I bought an apartment building near Wrigley Field. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and that, that was a tree lined street. But as a single guy, and it was only 15 minutes from the stores, and I was, you know, basically a workaholic because I was married to the stores. Yeah. And uh, worked out great, you know. So, um, and I thought that's how it was going to be for me. Actually looked at homes in the suburbs as a single guy, and I realized, boy, if I wanted to feel isolated, buy a big home and be the only one in it. Agreed. So, uh, so I passed on that uh, and bought this apartment building. Lived there for seventeen years. Then I met my wife um, when I was turning sixty. We married, got married just before I turned sixty-two. Is that your first marriage? First marriage. Congrats. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Wow, we so you were really devoted. Years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the old saying of, you know, until you meet, you know, when will you know when to meet the right one? You'll know when you meet her. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know, I didn't meet the right one until I was 60. So uh, anyway, we just moved. She is not an apartment dweller at all. <laughs> and uh, we have two dogs and, you know, the idea of letting them out in the yard and that kind of thing. So we moved from, uh, we moved from uh, nearing the field to Glenview. Okay. I was telling Adam. And now we've got the, you know, the bucolic neighborhood. We've got. You know, very domestic. It's very mm -hmm. domestic. And uh, we love it. We yeah. A lot of green, a lot of trees, a lot of, you know, all the things we want, birds and wildlife and things like that. So we're, you know, we're doing it. And um, 
loving it, loving it. So now we're fixing up the house. It was a really nice house, but then we decided, you know, this is going to be our, this is going to be our, um, our forever home. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to be able to age in place. Mm-hmm. So we bought a ranch. Smart. So, so we have a basement. So the stairs are voluntary, not obligatory. Laundry room and everything's on the first floor. And, uh, and so we got a nice big house. People say, wow, big house for two people and two dogs, you know, but we, we love it. We love the extra space. Yeah. We love the opportunity to entertain. I uh, have people stay overnight if they want. Haven't had much of that yet, but we're looking for. It's for- nice to have the option and having a ranch is lives so much better than a two story home. In my opinion, and it's hard because in the city, you really can't do it. Yeah. Right. But in the yeah. suburbs, you can have the extra sprawling space yeah. and it's kind of cool to have wings of where you are. It is. To have this wider yeah. home with different yeah. sections. Yeah. 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 Especially if you're entertaining, if you know, if you had a few, or you just don't want to drive back, you don't want to take an Uber, whatever it may be, right. stay the night. You got right. extra rooms. Do we've it. We've got great. We've got one one rooms. We have four bedrooms. So one's our room, one's an office, and and two are guest bedrooms. And then we have a basement where we have you know places for people, you know, a couch or something if it gets that to that point. And it's carpeted. It's you know really nice, a nice basement. And you know we're got a pool table down there and a ping pong table and. Uh, you know, we're doing it up, you know, because God willing, if our health allows us, we want to live in this house, you know, and then still travel and do things and get away to Florida. Or my wife lived 35 years in Florida. Okay. Uh, from Illinois, but moved to Florida and then uh, vowed she'd never move back. The old saying, never say never. And uh, and when we, when we met, you know, she moved back. And uh, and uh, so we want to get away to, to, well, Florida or other places at least. Like once a month during the winter, mm-hmm. we uh, we took we we attempted to do three months in Florida last this past winter, mm-hmm. and uh, when we made all the plans, after we made all the plans, which you got to do it at least six months in advance, we rented homes, VRBO, mm-hmm. and uh, we uh, we rented homes, and and we planned to do it January, February, and March, and then we found this house in Glenview, and they wanted to stay. The previous owners wanted to stay. Um, uh, till the end of the year, it was their their his, his grandfather's built a house. His grandfather built the house, and a lot of family tradition there. And they wanted to stay through Christmas, so we bought. We closed in October. We, we said, okay, stay. You know, it, again, it was one of those things where it was the peak. It was after the peak of the market, but still for hot properties, we had to do everything we could so you can stay rent free. We paid over the asking price. Mm-hmm. You know, we did everything. And we got the house, you know, yeah. so, but we plan on being there, you know, for as long as we can. So we're, we're investing in it. We're putting in a fire pit and, nice. you know, all the, all the things I've always wanted to do, but never could do. I didn't want to do it by myself anyway. I mean, there's no sense in a fire pit for the few times I might entertain, you know, and, and uh, now I can do those things because my wife and I can enjoy all these things whenever we want, you know, so uh, it's been great. We're really uh, thrilled with how it's turned out, but we're spending a lot of money on our house so, but that's okay. You know, you it's where you live. It's where you enjoy. That's right. Exactly right. So it's going to be our sanctuary and eight sound cliche ish, but we're, we want to make it where we enjoy living there year round, you know, yeah. summer, winter, whatever we, so this coming winter, we I thought going to Florida. For, so we went to Florida for two months and canceled the March plans because we wanted to come back and, and move. Yeah. So we got out of the apartment in on January 1st, which was good. Um, and then just came back just to move to Glenview in March. Because my wife couldn't stand it in our apartment with people above us and didn't have a designated area for the dogs. It was not that good. Before so, the market got to this state that it's in, every attorney would tell you never do that. 
never, never let someone stay after the closing, never to give post-possession closing. Right. And then it became one of the quickest, easiest motivations while the market was hot as it is to say, okay, take your time. Yeah. We trust you. Yeah. Before it was the, always the number one. No, my attorney, they, the alarm bells went off. They said, we got to have this and that. We, and we actually did a few things where, you know, they lost a lot of money if they didn't move out. Mm -hmm. uh, it turned out I knew the guy by sheer coincidence. I knew the guy that, of the couple that was selling he was in the grocery business as well. No way. So we'd crossed paths before. And uh, his, Small world. his realtor and he were cousins. They shared the same last name. And I asked him, I said, you know, you related to the people in the Stellis family in the grocery business. They owned a store on diversity okay. uh, years ago. And um, she said, yeah, it's my cousin. He said, and he said, he's the, he's selling this house. I said, oh, you know, so the trust factor, you know, the commit, you know, there was a little bit of a bond there because I had known him. So that took a little bit of the pressure off of, of like you said, they weren't against staying, you know, mm -hmm. but it worked out fine. They were great and uh, it was a great transaction. I'm local realtor, Jocelyn Kraft. Check out our YouTube channel, Kraft Real Estate, for the largest collection of curated properties here in Chicago. Whenever you're ready to buy or sell, drop a line, let us talk. Thank you for watching and I hope you've enjoyed this interview. How did you feel with that transition, living in the city for so long and going to the suburbs? Was it, were you fearful? No. I was ready. Yeah. I was more than ready, mostly for my wife, because mm -hmm. I knew it was relief for her. And as you know, relief for your wife is relief for you. Um, and um, and it's something I had wanted, you know, in my past, but I wasn't going to do it by myself. Um, okay. And uh, I actually looked at homes and in the suburbs and uh, signed on the dotted line on a couple of them and backed out <coughs> when the reality was upon me that I was going to be in this big house. Yeah. And uh, I'd be by myself. I thought, nah, I, I don't want to, you know. And so I bought, I bought, the building was perfect for me because a single guy, there were other people in the building. Like mm -hmm. even the idea of hearing people was a, a, a source of comfort for me, knowing other people. I agree in the with building. you 100%. I love the city noise. You know, the train's right back here and I'm much higher, but you still hear it a little bit. I like how it trickles into the unit, yeah. reminds you of the life around you. Yeah. And there's something about knowing there's lots of people yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool. So it served me well. And now it's an investment property. Mm -hmm. I didn't sell it. Um, and um, as of August 17th, it's fully rented. Right. And uh, I, I invested money in, you know, talking about money going out. You know, we're spending money on our house. We're spending money on our investment property. But now we're almost done with all that. Or we will be at the house in another couple of months. And now the money's going to start coming in, you know, and, and the, the big bills will settle down. So it's a, I'm very happy about where how it's turned out. I go into the store now. I used to go in six six days a week, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, my only hobby was boating. I was a boater, and uh, bowling or boating, boating, boating. Okay. Well, bowling too, but yeah. boating mostly. Yeah. And for 25 years or longer, it was my uh, my passion. Uh, Which harbor were you at? I was at Diversity for a short time, and I was at uh, 31st Street Harbor. Okay. Uh, for most of the time, about 10 years and uh, loved it. Had a bunch of, had a bu it was great for a single guy. I didn't date much. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a community of friends. And uh, between that and my family, I was occupied socially. I was just missing that one, you know, that special person. And I was resigned that it wasn't going to happen. I was going to make the best of it, you know, mm -hmm. sort of, and I was living a good life, you know, with it, but something was missing. And, uh, and I, I was at my, my buddy's, uh, 60th birthday party. We all turned 66 years ago. And uh, 
He lived 130 miles away in Bloomington, Illinois. And something about it, we'd see each other or talk once, once a year maybe. We were like, we had mutual college friends and that's how we met. Uh, went to U of I in Champaign and I met some people from Pontiac, Illinois. And he was from Pontiac. And once I met this one guy from Pontiac, we became very close friends and I met all his friends. This guy was one of, one of them. And his, I was at his 60th birthday party and his sister was there. And we met and uh, one thing led to another and, you know, we, we married, you know, so uh, it's cool. Being the CEO of a grocery chain, how do you manage the work-life balance? It's easier now uh, because two things have happened. Um, I got married and, um, and then my nephew, third generation, joined the business two years ago. And he had eight years experience with uh, Mariano's and management. They taught him things we could, we could never teach him. Mm -hmm. and, um, and he came with experience. And he came with experience that we, couldn't, we didn't have. So he actually had things. He brought something to the table mm -hmm. versus just learning uh, the business from us. So he's doing the day-to-day -day operation. He's overseeing day-to-day -day operations. I have three uh, key managers that have been with me the least – the least senior one has been with me over 26 years. And the other two have been with me with the company coming up on 50 years. Wow. So they know what they're doing. And my style of management was kind of let them do their thing and oversee them so that when COVID hit, um, I could just step back. They were used to running the day-to-day -day operations. They were used to doing, you know, having a lot of latitude, making their own decisions. And uh, I, for health reasons, I chose to stay home mm -hmm. during COVID for the, for a solid year. I didn't enter the stores. Okay. And uh, they handled it, uh, especially my one manager at uh, State Street. He, uh, we were broken into twice in the riots um, and he handled it both times. You'd think if there was over a time when the owner needed to be there, yeah. um, you'd think that's when I, and I called him, I said, I got to be there. You know, he says, First of all, he says, I'm not, I'm not sure it's safe because the rioting was like overnight. Yeah. And he says, we got it. You know, he, he did the cleanup. I could do the insurance stuff from the, over the phone and over the computer. So oh. that was not a big deal. And they rebounded twice without me even being there. And, uh, of course, to handle the day-to-day -day situation. But a lot of people stepped up, not just my store manager. And uh, it was, you know, it was very gratifying to see them handle it. And I wasn't there. So I go in now a lot less one day a week. Uh, I'm in touch with them on a regular basis, uh, but I, 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 you know, I can come in, you know, as I come and go as I please. I've been doing that for a long time, coming and going as I please. You have to have good people mm -hmm. who you can trust, number one, and people that will are passionate about it, dedicated, and want it, want to see it done the right way for their own reasons, not not my reasons. And our reasons were the same, but they were doing it for their own reasons. Uh, so it uh, it's working out really well. How do you influence people to come in through the ranks? So I imagine you're, you have someone who's worked in the business for so long, you build trust. Yeah. How do you recognize that person to keep leveling up? You know, we have, we have a variety of opportunities. And we, we have, I, I just left uh, the uh, Clark Street store and uh, there's a woman who's worked for us for 60 years and she's still working part-time. Um, and she, uh, she loves it. Uh, she's passionate about it. We offer all the opportunities. We offer entry level. We offer part-time. We offer temporary positions. We offer stepping stones, stepping stones in their careers that might be outside the business, stepping stones within the company. We offer everything. Um, and pe the people that are in the positions have uh, 
pretty much all come up through the ranks. A few, not, not but they've all come up through the ranks. And uh, like I said, my store manager, 25 years with us. Um, the other two store managers, uh, 50 years. And um, and now we have a new store manager. One's, one of them is retiring, has retired. And a new store manager. He was a part-timer in college. And uh, he got to know us. And we got to know him. And uh, now 10 years later, probably over 10 years later, he's the store manager of our Clark Street location. So uh, we just offer those opportunities. And then it kind of works itself out. And it's always better to hire from within. As a small company, it's tough to do really for a lot of positions. But we've been... We've been fortunate, and it's worked for, for us. Is there another family-owned grocery store in Chicago? There are. Um, they're, they're probably mostly bigger than us. Okay. Um, there are. I'm trying to think of, uh, uh, I think Pete's, Pete's Markets, uh, they're family-owned. Mm -hmm. They've done a phenomenal, they've had phenomenal growth. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, Tony's was until recently. Okay. Uh, they just sold out. Um, Purchased them. I forget. It was a... Private equity? Something like private yeah. equity, I think. Yeah. And I'm trying to think. Uh, and there are some smaller ones. Uh, uh, there's a gentleman. I don't know if they're family-owned, but they're they're independent, small independents. There's uh, Carnival Foods on Lincoln Avenue. Mm -hmm. uh, he's still doing his thing. And uh, he's got two stores, I think. One in the suburbs, one in the city. Um, and, uh, I'm sure nothing comes to mind right now. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a few out there, but they're less and less. It makes me think, or talking about that makes me think about Kroger's buying Albertsons. Yeah. And I think the justice department just threw out the case of that being, uh, antitrust. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's interesting. Cause I have a jewel right here. I have a jewel right there. Yeah. And then you have Mariana's not too far away, Correct. but it's all going to be Kroger now. Correct. And how do you stay competitive with pricing or right. how do you keep a landscape that is fair to the consumer? Right, right. Well, there's a, two sides to that. One is um, there's a lot of competition out there. Uh, in the credit card business, for example, uh, two companies share 85% of a business or more, Visa and MasterCard. And nobody... Nobody's talking about breaking them up seriously. Mm -hmm. So for Kroger and Albertsons, Kroger and Albertsons to join, they wouldn't even be. I mean, I think the biggest is Walmart, and they're like fifteen or sixteen percent of the market. I heard that that was part of the justification for that being yes. up. They're like Walmart's everywhere. Yes. Can you imagine? I mean, there's a small independent we, against a big giant like that. Uh, Saying meaning Walmart, but yet Kroger. And Albertsons felt in order for them to compete, they had to grow and become bigger. And that's kind of daunting for a smaller independent like us. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, we don't try to go total total with them or head to head in competition, but we, we are competing with them in the same market. I don't think it's um, I don't think it's a great thing for for consumers, but it, consolidation is happening in every industry. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and a little bit less competition in in Chicago, when they, those two finally do merge. But there's still, I think there's still plenty of competition where there's no motivation for them to start really jacking prices or, or doing things that are uncompetitive because they, they want business. They want to grow. They want to get as much business as they can. And uh, at, at, at the amount of business, amount of market share they have nationally, there's still an incentive to be 
be aggressive. And traditionally, the grocery business has been really aggressive. Um, you know, the age-old net margin in the grocery business is less than 2%. Really? Yes. And Very volume-based, then. Very volume-based. And historically, as big changes in the industry, uh, technological changes have occurred, for example, scanning years ago, long before your, your lifetime, I remember when when it went from item price mark, item price mark uh, marking where the price was on each package. The person's just typing it in and just typing it in. Then it went to scanning, and even that saved a lot of labor, a lot of efficiencies, and the margins in the grocery industry stayed at two percent or less. Which means they're passing it along because they're competing for people's business. Mm-hmm. So when that happens, and then the same thing with self checkout and things like that, they continue to pass along their savings to the consumer in order to compete for business. So I think it's a good thing. I think, uh, you know, in general, it's a competitive business. We become smaller yet when Kroger and Albertsons become bigger mm-hmm. or, you know, merge together. And we'll continue wow. to fight those battles. And uh, We've been doing it for 73 years. We'll continue to do it with a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work. I've, we'll continue. I've always seen your stores as not competing with anyone. Yeah. Because... Your locations are central, yeah, and you really, you really target, or you're just really around an audience that is going to go out of convenience. Yeah, you know, like your Sandburg Village location. Where else do you go? Right, you have that right there. Right, it's right there. You're not going to go anywhere else. You could walk a few blocks for sure, right. but the person who just wants a clamshell of blueberries, or just wants a frozen right. pizza, or just wants some fresh food, right, they're going to go right downstairs and grab it. And that seems to be a, a very competitive edge for what you offer. And that's that's the niche we found. I mean, there was a time in the 60s, late 60s, 70s, we were going head-to-head with the chains. And the market was vastly different. And, of course, they got bigger both in, in scope and the size. Their footprints got bigger. So as their footprints got bigger, we got smaller mm-hmm. just by staying the same size. Relatively, we were not small. So we've become more convenient-oriented. Um, somebody said, uh, I'm quoting a friend of mine, said, we're we're not a convenience store, but we're a convenient store, uh, you know, like based yeah. on our locations. Uh, and uh, and we work that, you know, we work that very, very hard. And we don't, you know, it without we don't want to sound arrogant when we say it, but we really don't compete with the chains. We don't really compete with anybody. We've tried to find our own our own niche for our customers, and uh, it's worked out well for us. And it's not easy, but it's it's a it's a it's a cool challenge. Being a small family-owned business, I feel that people in the neighborhood also want to support you. They know what that is, and there's so few of those left. Yes. That being able to work hand in hand, even if they don't know you, they don't yeah. know who Art is. Yes. They know the name. And I have a question. Potash, Potash, what is it? We love that argument. You know what I mean? We love that people, all my career, people have asked me that question. Uh-huh. And our answer is, especially when they're shopping our store, however you pronounce it, that's how we pronounce it. <laughs> because we, it's your store, not ours. You know? so, but the family, our family pronounces Potash. Potash. Okay. And, um, but I've heard potash is probably more popular, mm-hmm. more prevalent. To um, me, that seems like the phonetic reading. Yeah. For me, it is. That's yeah. how I call it that for years. And yeah. then someone, yeah. uh, someone corrected me. I was like, okay, it's potash. Got it. Yeah. But I still, yeah. it doesn't roll off my tongue because I was saying potash for over a decade. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and that's fine too. You know, when you write the checkout, it, it's the same, you know, but, uh, you know, we don't, we don't, I, I like the uh, conversation and, uh, and, uh, yeah. So that's how we, that's how we pronounce, we pronounce a potash. And uh, it's, uh, you know, you're right. Uh, being, being family owned or being, you know, an independent has some, some benefits, especially these days more than ever. 
but you still got to come across with the goods. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you don't treat people right and you don't have fresh products and you don't, you know, give them live up to their expectations, then uh, it doesn't matter whether you're surrounded by this feeling of, I want to shot the independent guy. That's going to wear out pretty quickly. You got, you got to really come across for customers. That's the challenge. That's a great point. What are the grocery trends that are changing that you have to keep up with to make sure that you're on that front? Uh, well, part of it is technology. Part of it is efficiencies. Uh, there's a big gap between the independents and the big chains in, in both those areas. And we make up for it in customer service. Uh, we make up for it in teamwork, uh, cooperation. Uh, we've gotten to a point where, uh, you know, you don't, you're not hired for, as a cashier or you're not hired just as a stocker. You're not even hired really just in the deli. Although we have people that just do those, those departments. We try and encourage everybody to learn more than one department. And most people are learning a variety of four or five different areas that they can help in. And then the staff just moves between those areas as needed. And that's how we kind of, you know, get our efficiencies that we don't, we don't have in other areas uh, that the chains really command. So uh, it's um, technology is another one. Uh, we're trying to keep up technologically uh, in terms of their social media and marketing and their loyalty programs. Uh, there's a gap there. There's a challenge there. And, um, and, and they just have the sheer buying power. Now, again, like we said, Kroger and Albertsons want, want to improve their buying power to compete more with Walmart. So uh, we struggle there. But we make, for, we make up for it in other ways. We're, our locations, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. we're blessed with great locations. And, uh, and then we, uh, we try and take care of customers and serve our niche instead of trying to serve everybody. And uh, I think that's the key for us. One thing, you're talking about loyalty programs, and it made me think of Let Us Entertain You. Mm-hmm. I have so many friends that always want to go to a Let Us Entertain You restaurant because of the points. Mm-hmm. And you get 10% off, and then you accumulate the points, yeah. and it really adds up. When you're creating a loyalty program, what do you think about it? How do you do it to differentiate? You know, we've struggled with our loyalty program, to be honest, because our customers really aren't that price sensitive. So to give them promotions, you know, to give them dollars off, is not that big of an incentive. Uh, my, my favorite example is uh, we, we put out these, we call them shippers in the industry. They're cases of product that are merch, that are, are, are engineered to unfold them and stack them so they're ready for display for customers. Okay. And some of them come with promotional items, coupons and things like that. And we'll put out a, uh, we'll put out a, a shipper for display that has the coupons right there and people, the, the shipper will empty, but the, nobody will take the coupons. Really? I, I think there's a little bit of a stigma amongst some of our customers about presenting a coupon, maybe. I, any customer, yeah. I think. I mean, maybe not a Walmart customer, but yeah. especially someone in the city. There's just a, there is a stigma with pulling out a coupon and being that person. It's like pulling out a checkbook. Like, can you imagine if someone were still yeah. writing checks yeah. at the cashier? Yeah. But I grew up, I remember my mom writing checks. I remember yes. seeing people write checks yes. to the grocery yes. store all the time. Yes, it was the biggest, it was the number one transaction method was it? forever, for a long, long time. And, uh, and it's changed. So, so, so the loyalty program, we're still struggling with that one, uh, but it's got to be based on something else other than, um, you know, uh, getting a, great, a better price because people aren't that motivated that shop in our stores for a, a better price as a promotion as an incentive to shop. So you're, you're having a struggle finding what that incentive could possibly be. Yes, that yes. would incentivize someone to use a loyalty program. Correct. Because even if you're just scanning something, what does it accumulate or what does it create? 
in terms of value for you and the customer. Right, right. And it's another hmm. step in the transaction. Yeah. So and a lot of people, I mean, city customers are on the move. Time sensitive. Time sensitive. Another piece of friction is going to slow it down. They probably just don't want to do it. I don't, you know, I don't use the the scanner thing at at uh, Mariano's or anywhere else. I just, I don't even want, I don't want to have it on my keychain. You talk about yeah. stigma. Yeah. I don't like the little thing on my keychain. Yeah. As stupid yeah. as that is. Yeah. Right. Right. I just don't right. want it. It's another no. thing. I only have, I have a fob for here and I have a fob for another building right. and that's right. it. I don't, right. I don't even have any keys. And that's people life in the city and that's been for a long time and the technology hmm. has changed, but the mentality has been the same. It's like, you want to get them in and you want to get them out. Yeah. And we've, that's been another area that we've really uh, been, that's been a, a big deal for us. Something we've prioritized is fast checkout, not waiting in lines, customers that are in the city, they're in more, everybody's in a hurry, mm -hmm. but city customers are a little bit more hurried than uh, probably suburban customers. And You're trying to pop in, pop out. Yeah. There's no car, there's no walk. I, you know, I call this the suburban jewel over here and I yeah. call this the urban jewel. Yeah. Cause that has a parking lot. Yeah. And I'm, I hate it. It's just, I, for nine years, I'd never car to give you some background. Yeah. I just got one cause I have a son. And I don't like pulling in <clears throat> and parking and walking. Even that minute just yeah. seems like wasted time to me. I just want to walk and the walk takes longer. Yeah. But there's something about walking. I feel like I'm doing something. I'm seeing the city. I see the people out. You feel the energy. Yeah. And I can go to the grocery store and walk back with my groceries. And there's something rewarding about walking into a grocery store and walking out and just going home and unloading them. Yes. Yes. It's part of the lifestyle. Yeah. It really is. I mean, uh, people in, in, live in this part of the city, especially, they're walking everywhere. Less than half the people have cars. And, uh, you know, they want to be able to walk in and walk out. That limits us a little bit because people only want to take home what they what they can carry. And uh, so there's not, not as much stocking up. Plus in apartment living, they don't have a lot of storage. Correct. Uh, opportunities for storage. So it's more day-to-day -day shopping. And that's what we've kind of geared. Our sizes are smaller. We carry smaller sizes that the chains probably don't carry. And, uh, and, and we serve smaller sizes, like a quarter pound of potato salad or a quarter pound of lunch meat, where they're bound, buying it a pound at a time or a half pound at a time in the suburbs. So we've our, our mix has helped us. You know, we cater to the type of customers. It's less to carry home, mm -hmm. and they're shopping more often. I think people take it for granted today, but you were the first store I ever saw that delivered groceries. And you guys, how long have you been doing that for? Forever. We've been Forever, doing it for right? all 73 years. Yeah. We've been delivering groceries. Really? On, for the on, whole, since the very on, beginning? On bicycles with a big basket in front. Uh -huh. Uh, we'd walk them. We would uh, put them in. We had a, I remember as a kid, we had a Volkswagen Beetle that had the, the front passenger seat taken out of it. And it was like a mini delivery van. No you know, way. It's kind of like something you probably more likely see in Europe than you would in, in Chicago. But uh, we've tried every different way to deliver groceries. So we've been doing it forever. Do you know the percentage of your business that that takes? It's a small percent. Is it? It was more at one time. Now with the you know delivery... With, with ordering online and home delivery, you know, electronically and, and Instacart and things like that, it's it's dwindled. It's still it's still a key part of our business, not so much because of the numbers, just because of the, as a service. Mm -hmm. But we still we're still doing. I don't know what percentage it is. It's ten percent or maybe or okay somewhere. Around That's there. what I would have guessed. Yeah. yeah. Do you know if that targets or if that speaks to an, an older consumer, someone who doesn't want to yes, leave their home? Absolutely. Absolutely. We've yeah. been with the brand for years. Yes. We've always relied on that. And yes. that person's not going to pick up their phone and do Instacart. They're no. They're just going to call Podash or however you Correct. do it. Correct. And that and they've been doing that. And we have people de designated to take the calls and then shop the orders. 
Okay. And uh, we, we do it that we do it every way now, technologically. It seems so personalized. It is. And it that, is. that's an edge that I appreciate as a consumer. And it makes me want to shop at your store. Just knowing that it's possible. I'm not yeah. going to use it. Right. But knowing that you offer it right. shows me that you're doing something that other people aren't. And I don't want to use right. Instacart. You know, it's nothing against yeah. Instacart, but yeah. I don't like the whole idea of just inserting a middleman to do something. I'd right. rather go to the source to get it. Yeah. Well, and, and our perspective is we want to offer all the uh, options to our customers and then let them decide. Yes. Decide. So we, we offer Instacart. We offer the personal shopping. Um, we offer uh, online shopping through Mercado, a company called Mercado. Uh, we, we do all the all the opportunities. We, we open all the opportunities to the customer and then they decide how they want to shop. And, and, and of course, most people come in and shop. And that we've got to be open to that. Otherwise, you know, we weren't open to changing. We, we probably wouldn't be here now. So... We offer it to them, and then they, they make the call. What's the story? What's the family story? How, how the stores start? It's a, it's a. I think it's a great story. My, my my father and his two brothers. My dad was the youngest of three Potash brothers. Uh, my uncle Herbie was the the uh, kind of the leader of the of the effort. Um, my mother says that uh, as she reflects, uh, she says that whatever my uncle Herbie would have gone into for business. His two brothers probably would have followed him. So if he went into the furniture business, maybe we'd be in the furniture business. But he chose the grocery business. So his next uh, two brothers followed him into the grocery business. And uh, and the sisters worked. Uh, there were nine siblings of that generation. And I'd say probably seven of them, uh, three boys and six girls, and probably four of the six sisters. So really, there was some talk that we should have been, we could have been called Potash. We were called Potash Brothers for a time. I've that seen was, that on that the, was the signs. Name. Yeah. yeah. That was the name for many, many years at the State Street location. And we probably been, and then I changed the name to for the company to Potash Brothers uh, years ago. And then finally we went to Potash Markets. But uh, as Potash Brothers, it probably could have been called Potash Brothers and Sisters, because the sisters were, you know, involved in the business as much mm-hmm. as everybody else, especially my my Aunt Marion, Marion Schumann. She was she was there for 50, 60 years with, with her two brothers. Um, so my oldest, my oldest uncle, Herb, he, uh, he went and did his own thing with a store on state street. <clears throat> and then my, my, my dad and my uncle Dave, his older brother, my uncle Dave, they were, uh, they opened a store on Clark street back in the fifties and sixties. That's been there that long. And it's been there that long. Yeah. Well, in different facilities. Okay. So each store has been transplanted from an older facility to a new facility right in the same spot. Okay. Just the way it worked out. And, uh. My uncle and my dad, my uncle Herb and my dad were both kind of like CEO mentality. So my uncle recognized that you can't have two chiefs, you know, under one roof. So he went and did his own thing. The brothers were very tight. So they worked together. I remember as a kid, they even had a phone in the old days when they had for landlines. They had a landline phone in each store that only went to the other store. Just pick it up and it calls directly. Just pick directly. it up and it calls cool. at one location, like a bat phone. Yeah. Type thing. It was very cool. That's, that's how tight they were. But they advertised separately. They did their own, th- but they worked together, and um, and uh, it did. They did it that way for many, many, many years. And then um, when I got involved, then my oldest uncle wanted to retire, so he uh, he uh, said he said, "Well, I'll close my store, and I'll be done." But he owned the property on State Street where the new building was built, or one East Delaware building, and he said, "I'll be the landlord." You guys take it over from here. Financially, you invest in the new store. You take it's a very generous move. He did he could have sold his business. Mm-hmm. He chose not to. 
uh, for the sake of the family and the longevity. And he and I had a very special relationship. He, he found a way to have a special relationship with all his nieces and nephews. He probably had 18 or 19 nieces and nephews. And he found a way to have a special relationship with each of them. And he and I had our special relationship because we ended up going into business together. He was my landlord, ultimately. And then my dad, my uncle, my uncle Dave, um, we became partners, one-third partners for a while. And then ultimately I bought them out as we all got older. And that worked out very, very well. And, uh, so it's uh, it's been a great tradition. And now my nephew is uh, coming into the business. So I, I hope to pass it along to him and... He's got every He's got the same opportunities I had, and if you're willing to work hard and uh, you play it smart, uh, then you can you can earn a living or better, you know. And uh, that's part of the challenge. But it's uh, it's been the family business. Has been you know there there are two sides to the family business. They've some real disasters, but when it works, it's really it's really gratifying. And ours has worked. And I was blessed with two uncles that were kind of like father figures for me. Um, and my father was very generous to me as because he was passing the business from from him to his son. But my uncles, it's your nephew. It's a little bit different. But they they treated me as if really I was their son, and they were generous with their time. They're generous with their expertise. They're generous with their faith in me. Um, they allowed me to make my own mistakes. Um, my my uncle Dave and my dad and I as one third partners. Nobody ever pointed the finger and said that was your you know we made that we made decisions by consensus, and nobody ever said. You know what? That didn't work out. You that was your idea. We shouldn't have done that. We were in it together and we we, we succeeded and failed together. It was very, very great. I'm I'm blessed that I was able to be a part of the chemistry that was those three brothers, the Potash brothers. And uh I'm I'm grateful I was able to be part of it. Outside of your nephew, are there any other family members that are part of the crew? You know, time will tell. Um my my nieces and nephews, probably not my nieces so much. Uh they have They've had the opportunity if they want it, but they're coming up uh, and they're doing their own thing. Um, I have one or, one or two other nephews that might be interested. We'll see how it shakes out. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Time, time will tell, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Will you give him a sweetheart deal too if you ever see I will. <laughs> That's my plan. Mm-hmm. My plan is to, uh, I want to pass it along on all levels. That's I was great. the beneficiary of generosity and I'd, I'd, be, I'd feel remiss. I mean, I'd, it'd just be against my core to not do everything I could to pass it along to Max, uh, my nephew Max, and uh, is Max Potash. So it's my brother's son. So the, the Potash name is also continuing, which that wasn't a requirement. But uh, <laughs> I have nephews. I have a nephew on the other side of my family too, which, you know, it wouldn't matter. But, uh, but yeah, so he's, he's carrying on a tradition. And uh, I'm, I want to do everything I can to, you know, see it through to the end for my, to support myself and my wife. And uh, and then let him have all the benefits. And you know, during tough times, you need you know uh, the generosity has has been beneficial during tough times when we you know if we weren't if we weren't a good situation, it would have been very tough to stay in business. So it's been it's, there are struggles when you're in business for a long time, and you got to be able to. It's one thing to reach the heights when you when you're doing well. It's another thing to have you know staying power when things are tough. And that's where some most businesses, you know, that's that's where they fail during the tough times. They just they just can't do it anymore. They don't have the will or the most of the finances. But we've been lucky. We we have a I don't want to jinx it, but we have a knack for hanging in there, you know, during tough times. What trends have you seen in food in terms of what's changed? You know, if you look back ten years, twenty years, thirty years, yeah. are there any pinnacles of change that have 
defined an era or divine, define that decade or things that you see that you never thought you would see? You know, mo the most recent one is self-checkout. Mm -hmm. uh, technologically, that's, that's the, and COVID changed mm -hmm. a lot of things. You know, the thing with COVID is in every area, not just the grocery business or consumer habits, once things change, they never go back to where they, the way they were. Some things might return, some aspects of it might return, uh, people's buying habits, some people's buying habits. But in general, it's like a river. Once it changes course, it's never going back, you know, and uh, uh, buying habits have changed and self-checkout has changed the mentality and people make fun of it. Some of them, you know, about, you know, they're not, they're, they're being, you know, they're, they're not employees, you know, and why should they check out? But again, it's like, you know, choose your method. You know, we, we, I think people appreciate it. Younger they people are like, I just go right through. Right. And we, you know, our thing was, let the, again, let the customer decide. I mean, that's kind of something that's, that I, 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 I will repeat because that, 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 that uh, influences how we approach the business is let the, give the customer a choice. And if those want self-checkout, by the time we got to self-checkout just in the one, the one store on State Street, it was, a, it was at that point of I felt we were doing a disservice if we didn't offer it to our customers who want to just get in and get out and want to talk to anybody they want to just do their thing and, and, and move on. And that's helped them. Self-checkout helped them to do that. We still offer, you know, people at the check stands, you know, if the lines, if we get lines for, uh, to, you know, we open up check, uh, man checkouts, if that's how they want to shop. And that's worked out well. So that, that's been one. COVID changed a lot of things um, in terms of buying habits. And a lot, you know, again, over the many years that I've been doing it, so many things have changed. Prepared foods, you know, people eat, you know, from the grocery store, get food. It used to be just rotisserie chicken was the only thing you offered. That was like progressive. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we offer, you know, we offer now places to eat, you know, you gotta have a place to sit. Customer came to me one time years ago and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to a meeting. I need something to eat like a yogurt and a thing of juice. And I need to, I'd like to just sit down. There's yeah. no place in the winter, especially there's no place to just go sit. So we carved out a little area for customers to sit. And now, I mean, People are doing it, uh, you know, the, the, the real progressive grocery stores are offering, well, they have restaurants. They have alcohol. And, yeah. You have, a, yeah. you have a glass of wine and you're pushing your cart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's really changed and that's how people want to do it. And I think it's exciting. I think it's fun. Yeah. It's a cool way of doing business. And we, we want to do more of that. Uh, we're, we're behind on some trends, but we're keeping our eye on them. And, and they put in self-checkouts and then they were, they were putting them in, then they were taking them out and they're putting them in again. Well, people and, are, you know, they're, they're buying steaks, but they're checking them out as bananas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, uh, that's the risk. But yeah, people are, um, but they have methods to kind of keep your eye, their eye on that because you got to put it on the scale and they know, they know a piece of meat weighs a certain thing and a banana weighs a certain thing or a banana. There's ways to beat anything, I suppose, but uh, we, 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 we've had pretty good luck with uh, not too much of that kind of thing with self-checkout. It's been a great boom for us because during some parts of COVID, we didn't have the staff. Mm -hmm. If we had to man all the checkouts, we, we, you, people would be waiting in line. So we were thankful that uh, self-checkouts were available, that we got them just before COVID at the one store. And uh, it's worked out very, very well. Other other trends, um, just, uh, you know, people have choices now. It used to be you went to a grocery store, again, years ago in the 60s and 70s, and you picked your store and that was your store. Now, most everybody, they, they shop by, well, I get this at this store. I get this other thing at this other That's store. That's how we shop. And, and I like produce here. I like their meat over here. I like, you know, the, and that's how people shop. And 
So we we just want to be part of the, the rotation. That's our mm-hmm. hope is that we're part of the rotation of how people shop. And you know, we again part of our niche is we're listening to the customer. So if you go into a big store and you say, "Could you carry this item?" Probably not going to happen. But you come into one of our stores and you say, "Can you carry this item?" That store man, if you go to the store manager, that store manager's listening and he's going to try and get that item for you. And the only time we would carry it is if we couldn't get it, and then uh, then there's nothing we can do. But we'll carry an item, see if it goes, because usually if one customer's asking for it, somebody else would want it. And then we try it, and if it, if it sells, then we carry it. If it doesn't sell, then we tried it, satisfied one customer, and we move on. And then if that customer says, well, I, I can't get it anymore, we might order it. We'll tell a customer if you'll buy a case. Sometimes a case is just six items. Mm-hmm. Well, if you'll buy a case, we'll, you know, we won't stock it to the shelf because we can't sell it. But if you want to wait and buy a case at a time, we'll bring it in for you on a per-order basis. Happy to do it. So the chains can't do that, or they choose not to. So those are some things that we do uh, that comes to mind as we're talking. But uh, that's that's part of the, the service that we get and uh, the attention to customers. And and uh, we, we try to acknowledge a customer who shops you regularly. Um, and... Customers appreciate, almost everybody likes to be acknowledged or recognized. doesn't have to be by name necessarily. Sometimes it is. But they like to know that you're a peak customer and, and we know you're a peak customer and we appreciate it. And we encourage our staff to do that. And most, they do, it makes it more fun uh, when you do that. And uh, that's something else we do because everybody likes to be acknowledged for their patronage to their shopping. And, and it works both ways. And the customer likes it. The staff enjoy it. And uh, it makes it more more than just I'm taking I'm, we're, we're transacting business. It's more personal. In a positive way, when I've shopped at your stores, I've always felt that your staff, or specifically the cashiers, kind of have an old world charm to them. Mm-hmm. As in, they're friendly, mm-hmm. they're nice. Mm-hmm. It's very unsityish. Yeah. If you go to Jewel, mm-hmm. it's the exact opposite experience, mm-hmm. right? It's you're not. There's no level of love, care, happy to yeah. hear, happy to help, happy to do this. Yeah. How do you get that? I and mean, how do you hire people to make sure that that person's there? Because you have it at all your stores. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm glad to hear that because we try. Yeah. We work very hard at it. Part of what we do is when we hire people uh, through the selection process, we try to hire. If you hire someone who's got a great personality, you're off, you know, they make you look good. You know, it makes your job much easier. There's a saying in the grocery industry, um, uh, hire tough, manage easy, mm-hmm. you know? So if you're selective about who you hire, then your management uh, is going to be easy. It's very true. Um, and, and you know, and then we also encourage people. Some people need to come out of their shell. Some people are very shy. And we just encourage them to say, look, you don't have to be outgoing. Just be pleasant. A smile goes a long, long way. I learned that at a young age. My dad taught me that in business at a young age that, you know, a smile goes a long way. And I may be a little off the subject, but I have, when I was a kid, Sandra Village was rental. We used to go through the Sandra Village buildings and distribute our weekly flyers under the door. It had to go under the door because otherwise it made a mess in the hallways. Mm-hmm. We went up there, seven, eight buildings, and me, I was like the lead guy. I was the oldest of three boys. My brothers and some of their, our friends would go through the buildings and we'd go, you know, starting with and they're, they're numbered, a, or their letter to a, a building, Elcott House, Bryant. They're done for a reason. It's A, B, C, I mean, C, Dickinson. E, yep. F. Okay, and then they kind of got off of it, but uh, we went through all the buildings, and we'd go start at the top. What's what's the E? E. Elliot House. Elliot House. Yeah. Then you have Faulkner. You have 
uh, well, anyway. Yeah. 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 Uh, Kilmer. James House. James House. James yeah. House, Kilmer, Lowell. Lowell. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So um, my brothers and I, we'd start at the top floors. We'd take the stairways down. And there was a building engineer who, um, of course, we made his job tougher if we didn't do our job because that meant he was going to have to clean up after us. So he was, he was mean. And when he, when we saw him, when he was mean, we would run from him. We, we were scared of him, you know. How old were you? 11, 12 years old. That's awesome. And uh, my brothers were younger, you know. And, and uh, so I went to my dad. I was kind of like our spokesman. It was my first, my first taste of management. I was like leader for my, my two younger brothers. So I went to my dad and I said, you know, I said, this guy, he's really mean. My dad says, tell you what, here's what you do. He says, his name was, I hope it was years ago. His name was Mr. Cece. He says, Here, here's what you do. When you see him, don't run. Don't get mad. Look at, when you see him coming in, you see, wave and smile and say, hi, Mr. Cece, how you doing? And just do that every time you see him. Don't run from him. Don't make it look like you're doing something wrong. And, and see how it goes. Well, I don't know how long it took. You know, the memory fades. But after a short time, Mr. Cece was our best friend. He'd be like, hi, guys, how you doing? You know, I'd like to see us. And, you know, it became a bonding thing. It was like my, my first lesson in in person-to-person, you know, rel- you know, relationship skills or dealing with people. And it was wonderful. That was the kind of thing my dad did. He was very, you know, good with being able to relate to us as kids, uh, both at work but also, at, you know, at home in, in ways we, you know, we understood things. And, uh, and so that's what we did. We did the circulars and we went through the buildings and, that was our first job, but that's how we learned, you know, about, how, about dealing with people. So same rules apply in terms of the smile. I tell people all the time, especially young people coming into business. My wife and I spoke in front of a, a Cub Scout troop uh, a few years ago, and they asked about, you know, se- selling and sales. And and uh, starts with a smile. We've all got one. We've all great got great smiles when we use them. It just disarms people. They know you're not, you know, they, they know you're not, you know, doing anything negative. You know, when you do it, do it genuinely and um, you smile and you disarm people if they're... They see a real person too. They see a real... They see and, themselves. And they, it's like looking in a mirror. And they see an intention. They see, mm-hmm. okay, this guy's smiling. I mean, there could be kind people out there as you get older, but that's a different story. But for a young person to learn, whether it's entry level at the store, it's smile. Just, you can be quiet and smile. If you smile and you're quiet, people love that. And if you're out, outgoing and you want to smile, even better. And I can think of one cashier. She started out as a, she's still with us. Um, she started out as a bagger and um, very shy, but industrious. She would do her work. And uh, finally, we told her, we said, look, we don't really have a, a place for you as a bagger. There isn't a place really for baggers anymore. You, everybody's got to be cashiers and help bag. Mm-hmm. And we kind of. I remember that. There used to be a person. There used to be a person. There used to be two people at every yeah. cashier. Yeah. 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 Um, with the, you know, with the increase in minimum wage, it's kind of become, uh, n- not economically feasible for a lot of operators. Some still do it, but, uh, you don't, you still see the, the two person team anymore, even no. the change they, the baggers float around. But anyway, so we, 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 said, well, try it. We just kind of coerced her into say, just try it. But she's a cashier. She's still quiet, but she's very comfortable cashiering. She's very trustworthy and she helps at our Hancock location and where she doesn't have supervision all the time and we can rely on her to do her thing. So she'd be, she'd become someone who, you know, needed to come out of her shell, but at least she's pleasant and she smiles, you know, it's just start with a smile. How do you develop your readership 
as business continues, as you get older, mm-hmm. how are you making sure that you're developing? Well, I'm, I, that's, that's an excellent question. I enjoy, I'm part of two share groups. Okay. Uh, the industry, well, there's, there's, there's share groups. Uh, it's a great, it's a great phenomenon. Um, it's not new really, but, uh, the idea of sharing is a mastermind. Pardon? A mastermind. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, the idea of, of collaborating, I'm in two types of share groups. I'm in one that's a, I call a grocer share group. So we're all grocers, but the idea of a share group is. Is it local? Is it national? It's, it's gotta be national for me. The, the grocery share group has to be um, people from different parts of the country. Yeah. Because if you're in a share group with your competitor, you're not going to share. Yes. It's just a fact of life. Mm-hmm. So share groups by their nature have to be people who don't compete uh, together in a room. So for a grocer's share group, it's got to be people who operate in different parts of the country. So I'm in one of those. And then I'm in a local share group, but none of us are in the same business or we're in unrelated businesses. If, if they're in the same industry, they don't compete head to head. And so people are willing like to Like a little tip or Toastmasters or... Um, I'm in a group called Vistage. Vistage, okay. It's a CEO and see it's for CEO. Well, they have various levels, but it's mostly for CEOs. Okay. And it's based on the idea of, you know, there are things that are core values that can help somebody who's an unrelated business with me, with issues I'm having, whether it's people or relationships or competitive situations. They don't have to know my business to help me. The idea is they act like um, like uh, like an industry shrink in a way. They ask the questions that force you to think through mm-hmm. issues. You know, and I, I find value in all of them. If there were one thing I could do for my business uh, that I sooner, I would have joined a sure group sooner in my career. And um, they're they're just phenomenal. You you get to know people that you wouldn't get to know otherwise. You get ideas. They broaden your horizons. They challenge you. That's part of the ideas. They challenge you. They they give you information about what's happening in the world, related or unrelated to your industry. It's a really I recommend it. And my nephew's going to get involved uh, pretty soon to open your horizons to hear from others. Uh, sometimes you know uh, the one thing about our share group is you may be a, uh, having a problem that you're kind of procrastinating on, but still complaining about. And in this one, well, in both my share groups, you know, if you complain That's about every business, I think, yes, right. Every, every business owner has something that bothers them. They don't know how to fix it. Right. And it's nagging away at them, eating right. away every single day. And if they had people to talk to about it, they might solve that problem quicker. Just by talking it out. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll solve the problem. Sometimes you need to be challenged. So in, in my share groups, well, both of them, if you complain about something for too long, they'll tell you, they say, you know what? You've been complaining about this. So either stop complaining because you're accepting it or do something about it. You know, I, my brother and I, my youngest brother, he's a sounding board, not in the business, um, but he's got a good, good head on his shoulders. And, uh, and we were talking about a specific employee that I was complaining about literally for years. And finally, one day he said to me, he said, you know, even we've been talking about this person for a long time. He said, really, you should either make a decision or stop complaining about it because mm-hmm. You've been, you've been accepting it. And I made my decision. And it, that was what, and the share groups do the same thing. It's like they'll challenge you so that, you know, they'll give you advice sometimes, but most times they'll ask you, they'll challenge you with questions. What about this? What about that? Have you thought about that? But really, a CEO has no excuse for not making a decision because they're the CEO. And uh, so the share groups have been a real cool to broaden my horizon, to keep me on my toes, to continue to learning, to learn. 
uh, I think that's important. I want to be learning till the day I die. You know, that's that's very important because once you stop learning, it's like that's the beginning of the end. Uh, it's uh, what's the fun? You know, if you're not learning. So uh, I've got plenty to keep me, you know, going. Plus, I like the thrill of you know being in business. It forces you to to learn and to uh, be on top of things because we're constantly, you know, responding to the changing landscape, and we have to, or we wouldn't won't survive very long. Yeah. How were you introduced to that group or the groups? Through people I know in the industry, I hired a I hired a vendor. I hired somebody who helped us with hiring. Uh, with surveys and uh, people take personality tests and mm-hmm. helps you. It, it's Is it a, a disc cool, assessment? That, that's one of them. Mm-hmm. I, I dealt with a like, name escapes me right now. But um, anyway, I was de- working with him and he said, you know, you you might benefit by joining this Vistage uh, share group. You know? And uh, so I did and I was glad I did. And prior to that, a guy in the grocery industry uh, was part of an association called the FMI. I'm still part of an association called FMI. It's the Food Industry Association. National and International Association for Retailers, Wholesalers, anything related to the grocery, to food retailing. And um, and he contacted me and he said, you know, first he, he vetted me. You know, he, they don't want someone who's just hanging on, who, who you know, is just not 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 willing to learn or change. And he, he asked me a few questions. And then after, I thought we were just out for lunch. And then after we talked, he said, do you ever consider a share group? Oh, interesting. So he asked you to launch. You yeah. didn't know that's what his objective was. Correct. But after he felt that you would be the right fit, right? He propositioned. And if he didn't think I was the right fit, it would have been just lunch. <laughs> so, um, so then, and that was—I got to tell you—it's been so rewarding on, on both a personal level and a professional level. These people have become my friends. Um, people, because you can, you confide in them about things about your business that you don't confide in most any other people. We only—not that we had great things to hide or, or keep confidential financially, but it's your finances, like your tax return, whatever it is, it's yours. It's personal. And, uh, but I would share, you know, you share finances because in order for them to help you, they really need to know the financial condition. Of it's like going business. to a mechanic and not letting him look under the hood. <clears throat> right. Right. We're going to the doctor and not telling them what your problems are. Yeah. I mean, the more you tell them, the more you, they know, the more they can potentially help you. And with every question, they're going to learn more and they're going to get to the real issue. Correct. Correct. So these guys have, we've all seen each other's financials. In fact, one guy complains, you know, he cries poor a lot. And somebody in the group says, hey, you've seen your financials. You can't <laughs> cry poor. You can complain if you want. It's okay. But you can't cry poor. You know, that's the kind of thing that goes. It's like a fraternity mm-hmm. because I've shared uh, my financials with them. They've sh- Not your personal income, but your company financials. And they've shared theirs with me. So it's, uh, and you don't share that with anybody. It's an honor system. You're, you're, the last thing I would do is want to breach that and, and lose that confidence. But it's a great, it's, I've developed some great relationships because of those share groups. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful for them. You know, it's been very cool. Are there any ways you tie into the community outside of your presence? We do. Uh, we, we try to do donations um, to um, Little League to a degree, our churches, um, Whatever cause a customer might come to us with and say, look, I'm part of this association, you know, and I, you know, can you make a donation, you know, on behalf? Some of them are local versions of, you know, bigger charities. Some of them are just personal uh, uh, programs that they're in, you know, whatever they come to with us. We almost don't tell anybody no, but we, we don't do, we don't make a ton of like large contributions. Mm-hmm. We try to spread it around um, rather than trying to tell somebody no. We say, well, we, we, we try to not, we try to honor 
every request or almost any request, and but we can do this much, and this is what, and they're always grateful. They don't, you know, they're grateful for something. So mostly when customers come to us for things, and then that continues, of course, once you do it, and then you, you know, it's become most of them become like a yearly thing um, because that's how those things are. You know, they come back year after year, and we're happy to do it because they're they're shopping with us. We're part of the community, and uh, we get behind some programs, whether it's um, um, homelessness or hunger. Because we're in the food industry, mm-hmm. and uh, we do that too as well. We 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 um, and the schools. We did a lot with Ogden School for a long time. I had relations with people at Ogden School. We haven't done much lately, but we're we're still doing some things. Some like an art teacher would say, "I need you know supplies for an art project or something like this." And we'll, we'll contribute. Or as I mentioned, we did up one of our customers was uh, uh, very involved in the, the local Cub Scout troop. And um, and uh, we help you know we help with our time. My wife Ireland and I did a couple of presentations. They wanted to know about sales, and and my wife was in in pharmaceutical sales. I'm in retail sales, and we both had something to offer uh, for people that are you know young people that are looking uh, in, looking ahead in life. You know, and, uh, it's it's fun to do. It's gratifying. It's 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 part of helping each other out. You know, your customers shop with you. And uh, we want to do things for them because that's that's part of being part of it. That's part of being a, a community grocery store. That's what we do, neighborhood store. How do you decide what goes on the shelves? Trial and error. Uh, we've been doing it for a long time, so it's really more of an, an evolving thing. Customer requests is uh, one of the big ones that we do. We solicit requests um, as part of our marketing and advertising. How do you do that? Well, I mean, in-store... We put signs out there on our website. We, you know, promote the idea that if you're looking for something, we do it. And we try and build build a rapport with people so that they feel like they can ask. Because most times, uh, if you're shopping a big store, really asking is not an option. It's either they carry it or they don't. They don't even know who to talk to. No. And the person is invested or tied in. I feel like in a bigger chain, people are doing their job. And I feel like at your stores, people are part of the team. Mm-hmm. And we encourage them to bring it up to us. If you hear something, you know, mention it. We used to have slips of paper you fill out or whatever, and that kind of come and gone. Um, but we, we, we do that, and we're listening, and we're, we're looking at the industry, the trade um, communications that tell us what's emerging, emerging trends. Uh, we, we, we go to the specialty food show. We haven't gone in a while. We go to, we, we've, in the years past, we've gone to the specialty food shows either in San Francisco or New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go to other industry uh uh, uh, events where they talk about products and things like that. And we hear from vendors that are promoting the next product. Uh, we try to be um, uh, a big part of our business, specialty foods, uh, things that have that are emerging, they're new, and they haven't reached the level where the chains are, they haven't caught the chain's attention yet. So when someone's starting out, they usually go to the smaller operators to get in. And then once they get some momentum going, then they can get the attention of a bigger operator if they're inclined for that kind of thing. And so we've we've had several um, um, Skinny Pop popcorn. We were their first, even on their website, I think at one point they acknowledged it. We were their first or their second um, uh, customer. No kidding. Uh, where they supplied us. They started with us. And, Is that and Chicago-based? Was, it was at the time, I think, yeah. yeah. And... Um, Donkey chips. Uh, we were an early, early one for them. 
And then they move on. They go on to bigger ones. We still carry them, but we move on, you know, to other things. But we, we look for people that are kind of like smaller than us from a producer or supplier uh, standpoint. And for them to be in one of our stores is a, a big plus for them. Yeah. And plus, plus you have something no one else has. Exactly. Exactly. We have, it helps us to f- differentiate our, our selection. And we get people to try things. You know, a lot of them, some succeed, a lot of them don't. But, you know, it's interesting. Our customers like to see new things. And when they've tried it and they like it, it's fine. And when they've tried it, they're over it. That's fine, too, because mm-hmm. when, once they've moved on, we move on. We might carry it. We might not carry it, you know, depending on how it sells otherwise. So it has like a peak where it sells. And then on the downside, it gets either discontinued or it goes on the shelf like every other product. And if it can maintain, you know, steady movement, then we keep it. If not, then we're, we're done with it. But our customers have moved on anyway, so it's okay. So it's really a rotating thing because we have limited space. Mm-hmm. The chains complain about limited, limited space, and they're 10 times our size in some cases. But we are really limited. So we, we pick and choose. And, but we try to carry a, a, a large variety of new items to make it interesting for customers. And we try to do sampling. And a lot of it is vendor-based, vendor-supplied, and, and uh, they promote. You know. And now we've got a little bit of a reputation locally that if you have a new product and you're, you're an upstart, that you could you could talk to one of our buyers and get in and um, and then have a shot, you know, at uh, at uh, you know foothold for growth. When you see a store like Whole Foods come in just a few blocks away, mm-hmm. what's your thought? What goes through your mind? Well, it's part of the business. Before it didn't happen, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like everybody else, competition is always good for the other guy. Yeah. you know, not me. But, um, you know, it's always made us better. Uh, it, it, it's something we, you know, we, we try to, we try to make, hope that there's some distance geographically between us and our competitors and that New Whole Foods is really close. Um, but it's not on top of us. You know, yeah. It gives us room to do our thing and it, it challenges us and, and it forces us to be better. We've always come out of it better before, you know, uh, after they've, 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 uh, the comp- competition has, you know, been there than, than before it was, you know, before they were there. They were a block further away, and that really made a difference. But, of course, they came up with this big new store, which you know, we knew they would. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't disappoint. That was a temporary store for sure. It had every earmarker of it, the old location. Because it was kind of a rundown. It for, became for Whole Foods, it was run down. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, we know people who work for Whole Foods and they used to complain about that store. But they knew. They, they're, they're planning years and years ahead. They knew, mm-hmm. you know, what was coming. And, you know... I, we look at each other staff-wise and say, okay, we've got to sharpen our skills yet more, yet again, to, you know, get, you know, main, you know maintain our share of the business. And, um, you know, you take a little bit of a hit for a period of time, and you're always clawing your way back. And that's how we approach that one. And uh, it, it has made us a better operator in the long run each time. So that's the way it is. It's not something we can control, but we're grateful that we have usually enough room for we can still do our thing and uh, we have to be flexible and uh, we have to look for opportunities and uh, it's, it's worked out for us. It's made us better, better retailers. Do you know what happened with treasure Island? I don't know really. It's pure speculation. Mm-hmm. I don't have what happened with treasure Island. They had great locations. Yeah. That, that's one of the reasons I asked because their yeah. locations were prime and they weren't on top of any other grocery stores. Yeah. And they seem to have that specialty vibe too. They did. They did. And then they're then bankrupt and gone. Yeah. And yeah. one the one's an apartment building now. One's a climbing gym, I think. 
I don't know what happened with the other locations. The other one here was bought up and they're trying to do this grand master plan on Wells Street that'll incorporate even like as far as the gas stations go and they're trying to do a, like yeah. a an over area of that. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen those yeah. plans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I was always curious. Yeah, I, I don't know. I you know, I don't know. It's hard to say, you know, what, what goes you never it's it's like a household, you know, never really what goes on internally. Mm -hmm. And uh they they'd had enough and um and they decided, you know, it wasn't worth uh they had good locations, but they had a couple locations where you know they rented, and the okay. rents I think uh, made it tough for them. Hmm. So uh, they they made their decisions, and we, we benefited you know a little bit from that, just having staying power. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a shame, you know. They were great. We were friends, and uh, we we shared the neighborhood for years and years. They got the lion's share. We got what we got. We were happy with what we got. It served us well, and we continued to get you know what we get. Um, but yeah, they, they had a great model and, uh, it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but they, it had run its course apparently. And then they decided they'd had enough. A location like you have in the Hancock, how does that come about? Through relationships. Cause that's a great, well, I mean, it's as captive as you can be. Yes. I don't, unless you're charging twice as much as someone else. Yeah. I'm going downstairs. Yeah. I'm not leaving the building. They have a lot, yeah. Although it's funny you mention that because, you know, I before we, of course, they've had a, there's been a grocery store in that building ever since Hancock's been built. It was We're Bachwinkles like, before, right? Uh, no, no, was it was never Bachwinkles. Okay. Bachwinkles on Michigan Avenue at one time, but not not in the Hancock. Okay, they, I think we we're the third or fourth operator, um, and the building, they, the, they had, so, sorry to interrupt you. So there were other groceries. I didn't even thought about that. And they just didn't succeed, or. They did. Um, I think for the first 35 years that the Hancock building was there, um, they never invested. So there's a homeowner association that's from 40 for the fourth, 44th floor where the store is at. Mm -hmm. up. Yep. They're condos. And the homeowner association, they didn't really have the desire to upgrade the store. It was not their store. You know, it was an amenity to the building. And for 35 years, it never got upgraded. So there's no tenant improvement. No. Yeah. And it was looking ragged. And I, then, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And then they decided that the current operator, they were just not happy with the current operator. Maybe the current operator wasn't being flexible um, or, or, or the pressures of the business weren't allowing them to give the customers what they wanted. That happens a lot. A lot of things are volume-based, sales-based. If you're doing higher sales, you can do more. It's economics. Our stores are no, no different. Um, we can do what the what the economics allow us to do. And the sales have gotten to a point where with, with they have a lot of options. If you live in the Hancock, like you're talking about all the options for grocery stores, they have plenty of options. And um, Sort of. Yeah. Sort well, of. It depends on how convenient you want it to be. Yeah. But with, with Walgreens carrying food now, mm -hmm. you know, they have, if they want quick options. That's funny. I would never think of Walgreens options. as competition for you. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess in, in some way it is. Especially in the convenience end of the spectrum yes. where we, we, we live. If you're getting a frozen pizza. Yeah. doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So um, so anyway, the, the Hancock, uh, they, they had, of course, we were the closest major grocery store to the Hancock on our State Street location. And they asked us, I got a call from the property manager at one time. And uh, he said, do you want to, would you consider opening a store? And at the time, I wasn't interested um, it was just too burdensome to do. Um, and so I, I wasn't interested. We were union and we, we did okay with the union. It wasn't the union's fault. It was just an extra burden that I wasn't. You're still union? In our meat department only. Okay. 
And um, that, so then I turned them down. And then the, the employees voted the union out in 2006, somewhere around there. And now the property manager called me back, coincidentally, and said, uh, you know, we have a lot of our customers shopping your store. They would love to have a potash in the building. Would you consider? And I said, yeah, you know what? It was a nice sunny day in the summertime. I said, you know what? We can meet. Let's meet and talk. So I go up to his office, 44th floor, window facing north, along Oak Street Beach. And it was the it's air great show. great view, isn't it? It was the air show. Well, no, it wasn't the air show yet. No, it's a great view. But a, a Coast Guard helicopter, the orange Coast Guard helicopter, passed by that building below us. I thought, this is really cool. I got to figure out a way to do a store here. Mm-hmm. So uh, I looked at the store and they had the, they had the, the aisles running along uh, parallel to the window. So it blocked all the window views. Really? Yeah. I would, and, I mean, just logically that you would never do that. I know. They did it in the seventies, I guess. So it, it, whatever Why it was. would you ever, that's so, so funny. In fact, the freezers, which are the biggest fixture in, the, in a typical grocery store, were along the, were, were not along the window, but the closest to the aisle to the window. So blocking it further. Blocking it further. Looking into a place is part of, okay, so we met here because this is more convenient for you. My office is on Southport mm-hmm. and my, I took that office. It's only 635 square feet, but it is 18 panes of glass mm-hmm. and it is one large length. It's not deep at all. It's maybe 12 feet deep at best, Yeah, but it is a, a billboard for me. And the inside of the office is the captivating part of it. I yeah. want people to look in and get curious. And that's why I did it. And a grocery store is the same way. You want to look yeah. in, you want to see what's right. going on. Right. right. Any store. And so they, so we, I said, well, look, I said, of course, they were talking about tearing the store down to the studs and rebuilding it back. And they asked us, because they're not, they don't, they don't know how to build grocery stores. They said, could you do it? Well, I had my designer. They, they hired my designer to do it. And uh, we built the store. I said, look, I, I want to turn the aisles so that they, they go to, so the, the light flows through the aisles, you know, filters through into the store and the views are, so you get as much of the views as possible. And we talked about a few things and to, to the credit of the condo association, they are the reason that we're there. If it weren't for them, um, we wouldn't be there because they controlled what our rent was and it had to be something economically that made sense for well, they're stakeholders, right? Yes. And so not only are they shareholders, but they're stakeholders. Yes. And it is very much in their interest to have that convenience store right there and to offer you a rate that makes sense for you and give you the type of incentives to do it. Yes. And it was- What a good relationship. Over 35 years, the building before we got there- Because it's not interrupting. I'm just thinking about this. But like, there is no landlord you could ever have that would have that same type of incentive. Right. Right? The landlord wants you to succeed for sure. Right. But they're not shopping there. Right. They don't have hundreds of people that are literally stakeholders and shareholders that are going to go to your store every day to make it exactly what they want. Right. That was a great call for you. I bet it was a big, big compliment. But it was, it was, and I was honored. And and and, but we had to look at it practically and decide what would be best for the building. So at the time, not the fault of the operator, but the the facility had gotten you know deteriorated over thirty five years, wear and tear, um, and and it got to the point where when real estate people who were showing apartments in the building, condos and stuff like that, when they, you, could, you had to walk by the store to get to the- Every time. Every time. And they told them, they said, cover that up because it's hurting your values because it, it looks bad. So they Would covered you like it up. to hear that? Yeah. They covered it up. So when I looked at the store, that window that, that you see through the aisle, that was covered up. And they said, of course, we'd want to cover it up. 
I said, no, 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 no. The type of store we want to run, facility-wise, we want to make it appealing, and it will remain appealing, so that you want that window open. It's good for business. It's good for wouldn't, values. What an interesting perspective. It gotten so bad that their view, because of the feedback they're getting, they're saying, we just don't want to show it at all. Right. Instead of thinking of the asset it could be and how it could really brighten up the space and make it more appealing and make an asset for someone purchasing within. Right. Well, thankfully, the condo association at that time, and you know, as condo associations go, they rotate based on leadership. Very interesting dynamics and associations. They, they had come to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. That this is an amenity for the building. It's instead of hurting values, it could increase values. They wanted to try and attract younger people to the building, which they've been successful in doing to some degree. And it's a tough one. <clears throat> it is. It's a real <laughs> That building is in like such an iconic tower of Chicago. Yeah. But convincing someone to live there is difficult. It is difficult. And they thought that having a, a store would do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that helped to some degree. Absolutely. So we, we took that store over and um, and great views. And, um, you know, and it's worked out very, very well. So we're, but if the condo association, like I said, if we didn't have a relationship with the condo board and the condo association, um, the property management there, then we wouldn't be there because they had to they had to participate in terms of uh, you know us being there making it ec- economically feasible and so we're there you know and it's worked out it's a feather in our cap to be there we love being there they're great people to deal with it's a small store it's a very modest situation but it adds you know to our portfolio to our, our brand it's profitable you know and it's and we're serving a, a purpose for the for the customers and they still shop. Some of those people who live there still shop our store on State Street because hmm. it's a limited, you know, variety store. It is more of a convenience. Someone wants to take the walk too, and because right. they're in the building, they have the brand loyalty. So it's just it's probably fun. They're going to go to the second location, right? But some people in the building is interesting. When we were building that, doing the build out for that store, I was in an elevator with two customers, two potential customers, and one customer was saying, "Wow, we're really going to enjoy having it when the new store opens." And I said. We're going to have everything you want. You don't have to go anywhere else. And then the other customer says, unless we want to. And I thought, whoa, okay. Yes, I agree. You know, you'll have choices, you know. So, you know, <laughs> they didn't want to be like, the well, other customer don't want to feel like, I don't want to feel compelled to shop this store. I still have choices. I'm, I'm good with that. It was a kind of eye-opening. Mm-hmm. But I got a kick out of it. It was like, yeah, you, you have choices. But we want, to, we want whatever segment of your business we can get. We're, we're, here, we're here for you. When you're ready, we're ready, and that's how we that's how we maintain our position. Where do you see the future of grocers? Um, it's it's always going to be changing. I, you know, when I got out of school, I worked for Kroger in out of state to learn the business. Wasn't sure because I had a college degree, and in those days, uh, there weren't a lot of people with college degrees going into the grocery business. I'm sure they're working their way up and that kind of thing. So. So I got a job with Kroger. I wasn't sure whether I was going to go the corporate route because I had a college degree or whether I wanted the family business. My, my, my nephew kind of had the same fork in the road at some point in his career because he, he's college trained too. And um, um, and I, I worked for Kroger. And uh, the one thing they, they pounded in is that uh, in college and at Kroger, change. Changes, changes. But I said, okay, change. But I really never anticipated it's one thing to acknowledge the concept of change is going to be dramatic over time, but to know what actually that means in a realistic, practical way, it's hard to envision. But I think, you know, some of the things that are already happening are going to, I think COVID ex- accelerated a lot of trends in shopping, you know, from home 
that they thought were in the next 10 years happened in two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people are going to continue to have more and more options. I think there will always be a place for retail. Customers are going to want to shop and mainly for perishables uh, and things they I want. I want to touch my fruit. Exactly. exactly. I could never – I don't. I like to go to the grocery store, as I was saying earlier. I've never ordered anything except yeah. maybe like some one-off things when the baby was born. Yeah. But – the idea of having someone else pick out all your stuff takes the fun away from the groceries yeah, in the sense. It does. Un- until necessity kicks in. Yeah. And when you need something, you need something, you take what you get. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's been my experience with Instacart. You take what you get, but the convenience is there. And that's that's their that's their niche too. But I, I think I think that those trends will still continue. You know, things are gonna get, you know, artificial intelligence is gonna be a bigger and bigger part of our lives. And uh, the, the good side of artificial intelligence, because there's a there's a dark side mm-hmm. uh, to be wary of. But um, Elon Musk has even talked about that kind of thing. But I, more and more, you know, artificial intelligence is streamlining the things that take a lot of the labor out of uh, a lot of the emotion out of decision making in, in a good way. All the analysis yeah. gone. One second. Right. This is what you need to do. Right. Right. And um, we're looking at some of that as well for ordering. Um, and take the emotion out of, of, out of some things we're doing, old habits, things like that. Uh, we're rolling at uh, artificial intelligence for labor scheduling and ordering of products. We're just looking at it, mm-hmm. and I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna become a bigger, bigger part of it. And uh, we'll see. You know, a lot of trends they talked about. They talked about with fax machines or, or certain things that you know, paper, electronic email, that paper would go away, and paper's gotten the use of paper has increased. Um, even so, so a lot of things that they talk about, you know, things are going to disappear, won't disappear. Now, toll booth people, they've disappeared, you know. So some things do and some things don't. In the grocery business, I see, you know, people, there'll be less people involved in grocery business, but it'll be quality and uh, people making more money. And uh, it, it'll, it'll continue. People still want to shop for groceries. There'll always be certain people who want to shop for groceries. Uh, because it's a personal experience, mm-hmm. and there will be that segment that wants. I don't. I don't care. You know, I want this. But some of the nice, the perishable things: shop for wine, craft beers, uh, spirits. You oh. kind of want to go. You, you want to talk it. about it. You yeah. want to maybe sample it. You want to. You know. That's a great point. You guys have a great wine person. We do. Uh, I only know about your Sandberg location. The guy's great. If you need a bottle of wine, that is the best place to go for every yes. person listening to this. Yes. You need a bottle of wine, go there. He will give you exactly the right thing for whatever you're cooking, whatever your yes. event is. Yes. Yes. And that's something we've, uh, that's part of our niche as well. Yeah. You, that's a big space. I, it's yeah. so funny. So I used to live right over there. Mm-hmm. So I used to go there more often. I don't go there as often anymore. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's okay. It's, it's a geographic. Like we're talking about. We understand. But I would always go there when I was getting a bottle of wine for a client yeah. or whatever it was. Like, here's what I'm looking for. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we've been blessed with good wine people over the years. Years ago, we had... Um, a gentleman named Sig Langstetter. He is German and uh, he lived and breathed wines and he was good at it. And he could smell a wine and tell you what kind of wine it was. And uh, when he was buying wines, I've watched them when I was a kid. He would smell a wine first and sometimes it didn't pass the smell test and they went no further. And he, he really knew he got us started in the wine business, the fine wine business. And uh, since then, we have, we've had several people come through. We have one guy that actually the store manager at, who's the, at uh, John Reed at uh, at the grocery store. He's our, our head wine guy now. Passionate about wine, spirits, craft beers. Loves to talk about it. Loves to taste it, and is good at what he does. He knows how to match up people. He wasn't there probably when you were shopping there, but he loves to match up people with their preferences. And there's an art to that. There's you know something to that, and uh, we try to do that. 
for our customers. It's part of the fun of the business. Art, thanks so much for doing this. This is a lot of fun. It's been a pleasure. It's a pleasure to learn about your business and all these little things you never know they're going to come up. But I've been sitting here, I'm like, this and that. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thanks. Absolutely. Appreciate it. If you want to watch another My Chicago podcast, click here. If you want to see exceptional Chicago properties, click here. Thanks for watching.